Good morning, church. It's good to see each of you here. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament book of Joshua. And we're going to be reading in chapter 14 in just a moment. Joshua chapter 14. We're coming to the conclusion of a series of studies we've called More Than Conquerors. And we've looked at the idea of victory as it's taught to us in the life of Joshua. And that you and I were made to live a life of victory. In the New Testament, victory is defined as exercising faith. Faith is the victory. And in the life of Joshua, we've certainly seen that illustrated. The title of this morning's message is Finishing Well. Finishing Well. I want to begin this morning by asking this question. Do you want to finish well? Do you want to finish well? I see some of you nodding your heads. You know, when you're younger, you don't think about the finish. You say, well, I'm just getting started, Pastor. And, and you need to know that a good start contributes to a good finish. And so all of this is applicable to every person here as we think about finishing well. Finishing well is something we tend to think about more and more as we get older. Two weeks after my 40th birthday, which was some time ago, but two weeks after my 40th birthday, I started experiencing severe lightheadedness and weakness and didn't know what was happening and was busy in ministry, was busy traveling, and, and I could hardly do what I needed to do. And I knew something seriously was wrong. I felt terrible. I thought it was something I ate the first day, but days two and three, it was pretty clear. It was more than that. And uh, Gail taught me into going to see a doctor, and then he sent me to another doctor, and, and I realized pretty quickly that I had a problem, and I had lost a quarter of my blood volume, didn't know it. Uh, I was bleeding internally, and, um, and I don't want to get into the medical details, but it was, it was a very kind of scary situation. I thought, here, I just turned 40 years old, and everything's, the wheels are coming off, and I, they discovered I had a condition, which I'm, I'm checked regularly, uh, almost annually for, and uh, to make sure it doesn't develop into something worse. But it took over a year to get over that. Um, I can't describe to you the sensation of, some of you know, but I can't describe the sensation of just getting up in the morning, taking a shower, shaving, and being totally exhausted, just done, spent. And, and eventually we figured out what we need to do, and, and my strength came back. During that period of time, especially in the early period, we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know if I had um, a life-threatening uh, form of cancer. We didn't know. And all the original tests were coming back inconclusive. And for a period of time there, I was confronted in a way that I had not planned on with my own mortality. And have you been there? I know some of you have because we've talked about it. Some of you are dealing with a situation right now that is raising questions in your mind. And I didn't know whether I was going to live, whether I was going to make it. And my wife, we had six kids at home, little ones, and I'm thinking, Lord, this is not the time. And rationalizing and arguing and wondering, you know, Lord, what are you doing? What does this mean? Through that process, a couple of things became really clear to me. I uh, one was just the understanding of how God works through our weakness, and that's a whole another story and message. And 
and I studied the idea and saw in Scripture how clearly that the things we think are uh, things that disqualify us, things where we're not good enough, things where we're weak, where we're not very strong, are actually the very channels and pathways by which God wants to work in our lives. That was one lesson. I'll tell you another lesson I learned. I want my life to count. I walked out of that experience wanting every day to count for him. I didn't want to waste a day. And I don't have a lot of patience sometimes because I don't want to waste my life. And I want to be a part of what God has for me, his plan for my life. And the way to not waste your life, the way to make your life count is to be as best you understand it in the very center, in the very middle of what God has called you to in your life. Caleb is a man we can learn from. In Joshua 14, we are at a point in the story of the conquest of Canaan where most of the great cities have been captured or destroyed. There is still much work to be done. There are still areas to be subdued. And, and they were supposed to go on and do it, and they did not. And that's a whole other story. You go to the book of Judges, and you can read about how God changed the plan because they did not follow through in obedience to what he said to do. So it's very important that we follow through. But, but at this moment, things are good, and, and this generation has done most of what needed to be done in the conquest of Canaan. And now they're dividing up the land among the different tribes. And they are to go and finish the conquest in their particular assigned areas. It's at this moment that Caleb walks up to General Joshua before all the lands are distributed. And he speaks to him and reminds him of a 45-year-old promise that Moses had made to him after he had given a good report as part of the spies that had returned from the promised land. And listen to what he says at the end of verse 10. Joshua 14 at the end of verse 10. Here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Wow. 85 years old. Give me this mountain. I believe we have lessons to learn about finishing well from a man like that. Don't you? Caleb's lessons on finishing well. Number one. Encourage and influence others to follow Christ. If you want to finish well, he models for us what it means to encourage and influence others to follow Christ. Let's back up to verse 7 and read what he says. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I, 
wholly followed the Lord my God. Twelve spies sent out at Kadesh Barnea 45 years ago. Their task was not to decide whether to go in or not. Their task was simply to gather intelligence and encouraging information and bring it back to the people. Instead, ten of the men agreed that the land was wonderful, but the people were stout. There were giants in the land. It was a scary place, and they did not think they could do it. Two of those men, Caleb and Joshua, gave the minority report. And I want you to notice a couple of things that Caleb says as he recalls those events 45 years earlier. First of all, in his answer, notice that Caleb spoke from the heart. At the end of verse 7, he says, I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Remember that. He spoke what was in his heart. The second thing I want you to see about his answer is that Caleb sought to encourage people. That's in verse 8. His brethren made the people's heart melt. But Caleb wanted to encourage them. He spoke what was in his heart. Are you an encourager or a discourager of people? If you want to finish strong, you want to be like Caleb. We're going to see this real clearly in a moment. But are you an encourager or a discourager of people? You see, it's easy to encourage people that you like. It's easy to encourage people that are close to you a grandchild or a spouse or somebody, it's easy to encourage somebody like that. But what if the person is, is not doing anything right in your mind? They, they are mistaken, they are wrong, they need to change. When you encounter a person like that, what you do next determines whether or not you're an encourager or a discourager. How did Caleb encourage others? Listen again to verse 8. And I brought back word to him, as it was in my heart. Whatever it did, this word, it was something that was in his heart, and that was the foundation of his encouragement of the people. We don't have to guess what he said, what that word was, because 45 years earlier, they were recorded in Numbers chapter 14. So it's interesting, if you want to remember the story of Caleb, there's only really two big places that talk about him, Numbers 13 and 14, and Joshua 14 and 15. You can almost, it's almost easy to remember, isn't it? Maybe? Okay. We're going to Numbers now. Numbers 14, verses 7 to 10. These are the words that Caleb spoke when he came with Joshua out of the promised land, and he gave the good report that was intended to encourage a, this, this people. Now listen to what he says carefully. And they spoke, uh, Numbers 14, verse 7. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, now just pause there and look at that phrase, if the Lord delights in us, how is that encouraging? I mean, it's He's saying it's possible for you and I to bring pleasure to God. By the way I live my life, by the way y'all live your life, he's saying to the congregation, he's saying it's possible to delight the Lord. The, the majority report said these are giants and we are grasshoppers. 
we can't do anything as grasshoppers with giants. And what is, what is Caleb doing? He's saying, don't look at the giants. Don't even look at yourself, grasshopper. He says, look to the Lord. If we bring delight to the Lord, if He delights in us, then He, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. In other words, you can experience God, and and it's not about our ability to take the land. It's about His ability to bring us in and to give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Don't disobey Him. You have the capacity to know and to do His will. He has told us what we need to do. You can do it. Do not rebel nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. They're not giants. We're not grasshoppers. They're our food. They're our bread. They're our prey. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. It is possible to be a fearless person. It is possible not to be afraid of anyone or anything if your eyes are in the right place. Verse 10, how did the congregation respond? Was there a great revival? Did all the people stand up and say, yes, in the Lord we can do it. We're going to trust Him. What does it say in verse 10? And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Well, that wasn't a great meeting, was it? They rejected His encouragement. And that can happen to you and me. But what I want you to see is the nature of it. Caleb gave encouragement based on what he had learned about God. The nature of his encouragement was not based on their ability. It was based on God's ability. It was not based on their resources. It was based on his resources. It was not based on us being together and being strong. It was based on God being with us and not being with them. And so he was simply sharing what he knew about God. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't focus on the insurmountable problems. He didn't talk about how difficult it was going to be. He didn't criticize them for their hesitation. He didn't jump on their case and say, you all are just a bunch of terrible followers of God. He didn't do that. He just said, look to the Lord. Look to who He is. This is what I know about Him. He can make this happen for us. Why is this part of finishing well? Because those who finish well in the sight of God never finish alone. We take people with us. He intends that we take people with us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, the Apostle Paul writes these words, For what is our hope our, or joy or crown of rejoicing? What is it? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Who's he talking about? The people that he had led to Christ. The people he had discipled. The people he had influenced to follow the Lord. That's who he says. And he says, this is, this is my crown. This is my finish. This is my treasure. This is finishing well. That one day I will stand before the Lord Jesus... And for some of us, that day is coming nearer than for others. And immediately, 
I want to be able to give a good report. I want to be able to say, oh God, I knew your heart. I knew this was important to you, and I pursued it, and I I gave my life for this. I want to be able to say that, don't you? I want to be able to finish well. And when that moment comes, what Paul is saying, my crown, my joy, my cause of rejoicing is to be able to look over there and see somebody that I know, that I influenced, that I invested in, that I helped come to that moment before the throne also. Who are you influencing for Christ? Who are you encouraging for Christ? It's easy to do a beatdown. It is so easy for you and me to criticize other people. You don't need a gift for that. Some of you think you're very gifted, I know. You don't need a gift for that. That comes naturally. That's part of our flesh, to tear other things down. But to encourage, that's a spiritual gift. And that's where the Holy Spirit wants to take us. And that's where he wants to take you. And to finish well, we must learn to be encouragers and influencers of others. But there's a second lesson we learned from Caleb on finishing well. Not only to encourage and influence others for Christ, but secondly, to keep Jesus in front of you. Keep Jesus in front of you. Look at verse 8. In Joshua 14, we're back in Joshua now. Joshua 14, verse 8. Nevertheless, my brethren... Who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, not H-O-L-L-Y, not holy, 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 but wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb said, I have wholly followed him. Now, he said that, but he wasn't the first to say that about himself. God said it first about him. In Numbers again, again, this is 45 years earlier. In Numbers again, 14 verse 23, it'll be on the screen. God is passing judgment on the people for rebelling and saying we're not going to go in the promised land. He says, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, look at those words, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now all the people had been delivered from Egypt, from Pharaoh. All the people passed through the Red Sea. All the people saw the clouds of smoke and fire on Mount Sinai when the presence of God was there. All the people saw that. But only two men lived long enough to enter the promised land. Just two. Joshua and Caleb. And Caleb had a different spirit, God said. Literally, a different kind of spirit. A, and that word means breath. He had a different breath about him. He had a different atmosphere about him. He saw things differently. He reacted to things differently. And his relationship with God was different from any other man in his generation. And the difference was this. 
God said, he has followed me fully. And 45 years later, Caleb has had time to think about this. And he said, I have wholly followed the Lord. What does it mean to wholly follow God? Well, when you dig back into the words themselves, and it seems almost obvious what they mean, but let's, let's talk about them for a moment. Let's not assume anything. The word follow in English and in Hebrew means to stay behind someone else, to move more slowly and keep them out front. Doesn't mean to get ahead of them, doesn't mean to lag so far behind that you can't even see them, but to follow means to stay right in the zone, right behind someone in charge. And he says, I've wholly followed the Lord. And, and the word holy here in English, W-H-O-L-L-Y, describes something that is full something that is filled up. In fact, in another scripture, in Jeremiah 23, God says, can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not, here's our word, do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord God. He fills every space. There's no place in the universe I can go where God is not. He fills every place. And God said it first about Caleb, and then Caleb said it about himself. And here's what he said. He said, there's no part of Caleb that's not right behind God. No part of his life. You know, we tend to compartmentalize our life. I have my Sunday life, and then I have my Monday through Saturday life. I have a way that I talk to people, and a way that I deal with people during the week, and I have a different way I talk to people on Saturday. We tend to compartmentalize, don't we? We tend to to take pieces of our life and we say, well, God, I have this decision to make. I have a job to make. And we pray about that, perhaps. But we may not pray about anything else. We may not even pray for anybody else. We may not intercede for anybody else. We may not pray with anybody else. We just pray when we need something. And, And the picture that forms is not of a heart that's wholly following the Lord. It's that there's times we do and times we don't. There's part of us that does and part of us that doesn't. And we're scattered all over the place. What does that look like? I'm going to try to illustrate it this way. This week, my grandson came to visit us. And uh, I didn't get a big picture to put on the screen. I'm not going to be obnoxious that way. But, but he, we brought some things. I brought some things that he will like. He likes his wagon already. Okay? Now, the whole idea behind a wagon, okay, is that when I'm pulling the wagon, if I'm out front, the wagon stays behind me, doesn't it? right? The wagon stays behind me. And uh, as long as everything is in the wagon, it is wholly following the grandfather, okay? Completely, all right? Now, here's what tends to happen, um, I believe, to our lives when we are not wholly following the Lord. We, we truncate our lives into different ways. So we might follow the Lord on Sundays or certain times, but we may have groups of friends that influence us and that we say things with and tell stories with that um, are not in the wagon. They're not in the wagon. And we know that the way I hang out with those friends and the way I talk with them and the way I talk when I'm around them, maybe the things we talk about and the things I say, I know that that doesn't honor the Lord. I know that that doesn't please Him, but it's not in the wagon, and so it's kind of over here in a compartment 
And I can't say that I'm wholly following the Lord as long as that's going on, can I? Maybe it's your love life, okay? Maybe, maybe you have a relationship, and you know it's not a good relationship. Uh, maybe something inappropriate. You're married, and you're having inappropriate conversation or texting or something with someone else. Maybe you're a young person. You're involved with someone who's not a Christian, and, and you're not having any effect on them. They're not, they're not responding to the gospel. They're just they're kind of all you know, in charge of the relationship, and your love life is not wholly following the Lord, and so it's not in the wagon either. And everything that's not in the wagon hurts us. Maybe it's your, your politics. And you're saying, I think we ought to do this, and I think we ought to do that, but you're not praying about what you're doing. You're not praying about your voting. You're not praying about what you should be doing or not doing. And if I had a donkey, I would put it here, promise. And I don't even know what Bernie represents. So I've got the other two, though. I got, I got at least one of them. And it's not in the wagon. And if I'm going to wholly follow the Lord, all of my life has to be behind the Lord. Maybe it's somebody you don't get along with. You know, like a, what do you call these? Not pterodactyls. Raptors, velociraptors. Maybe you got a relationship like that. And, and every time they come around, you know, you just... You know, that's just kind of the way you are about it. And so that, you're really good the rest of the time. You get up in the morning, you have time alone with God, maybe you pray a little bit, but you got this one relationship and your religion is gone whenever that person shows up. That's not wholly following the Lord, is it? Everything, everything needs to be in the wagon. Everything needs to be, be there. And, of course, we can't ever keep it picked up. And, um, all right, I'll push this over here for now. Holy following the Lord. Holy following the Lord. All of me. All of me. No part of me hanging out there. All of me behind him. That's what Caleb was doing. Is he leading you? Is he leading me? Am I following him? Here's the third lesson we get from Caleb. First, to encourage and influence others for Christ. I never finish well by myself. He calls me to take others with me. Secondly, keep Jesus in front of you. Don't, don't, uh, don't be a person who's just one way with Jesus on Sunday and the rest of the week. You hardly even speak to him. Don't go there. Number three, probably most important, and what Caleb illustrates for us really well, know your mission. If you want to finish well, know your mission. Know what God made you for. Know why you're here on earth. Know why. In verse 10, I'm going to read this again. We read this earlier. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then. So now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim, those are giants, how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord 
has said, and I wish I could have seen his face. It might have been even tongue-in-cheek when he said that because he knows. He knows what God's going to do, and he's asking for this. Caleb understood his mission in life. He had waited 45 years for this moment. He had been part of the taking of Jericho. He had fought in all the other battles in the promised land. But, but this was the thing that had been promised to him through Moses 45 years ago. This was unfinished, and this would yet be the greatest victory of his life, is to fulfill what God had said about him to fulfill the promise so that not only for himself but for the generations to come they would say Caleb trusted God took God at his word and God kept him strong to the end what do you need to know about your mission from the Lord what do you need to know about your mission from the Lord we're going to see some things from Caleb in just a moment but before we look at this do you know why you're here Do you know your purpose? Why God made you? You want to give that such careful consideration because you don't want to come to a place as as you have seen and I have seen people come to a place in their 30s or their 40s or their 60s and suddenly the light comes on. And we tend to have great regret when we wait so long. We tend to have great regret. So the time to start, if you're serious about finishing well, is to start now. What did God make you for? Why are you here? What is your purpose? And when you are in the flow of what God made you for, great, mighty, marvelous things can follow. What do we learn about our mission from Caleb? Number one, the Lord keeps you alive for the mission. That is so fundamental. And some of you older men and women, you need to know that you're alive today because you still have a mission. You still have a purpose to fulfill. Look at verse 10. The Lord has kept me alive. Who kept him alive? The Lord has kept me alive. And then later he says, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. Do you have a purpose? Do you have a purpose? Let me give you a test to discover whether or not you have a purpose. Breathe in. If you're breathing, God has kept you alive because you have a purpose. You have a mission. You have a reason for being here. And you may be a person who struggles in so many ways. You may look at yourself and see nothing worth living for, nothing of value, nothing of direction and purpose. And yet I'm telling you based on God's Word, God has kept you alive because He has a purpose for you. So many times we get into a trap of thinking God is finished with me. Let me tell you when He's finished with you. When you can't take that breath anymore. Well, I've, I've, I've done all I need to do for the Lord. Now I'm going to just sort of take it easy. I'm going to sit back and let other people do ministry now. I'm going to retire to a life that I've worked my whole life for. 
play a few rounds of golf, take a few trips, kind of do all this, this kind of stuff, but I'm done with ministry. I'm retired. I'm not preaching anymore. I'm not teaching anymore. I'm not serving anymore. Can I tell you right now that that is absolutely nowhere to be found in the Word of God? Retirement is completely a human conception that applies to a secular workforce. But as long as you're breathing, you have a purpose. The Bible puts it this way in Psalm 92, verse 13. And you can just jot this down in your margin. Psalm 92, verse 13. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord. Think about that. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Fresh and flourishing. You say, well, pastor, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I've, I, uh, I don't have a lot to offer. I don't have a lot of resources. I don't have a lot of talents and a lot of gifts. Well, we're going to address that in the next point, but let me just say this. If you're breathing, God has kept you alive, and he has a reason for you being here. A reason. The question is, are you paying attention to it? Are you fulfilling that? Are you on course to discover that? What? So secondly, about your mission, second thing we learn from Caleb is not only that God's keeping you alive, but secondly, the Lord gives you what you need for the mission. I told you we we're going to answer that objection. I don't have talents, don't have abilities, I don't have strength. I can't do what I used to when I was younger. I can't, I can't do these things anymore. God gives you what you need for the mission. In verse 11, he says, Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war. Verse 12, it may be that the Lord will be with me. And that's the critical factor. So many times we look at ministry, we look at the church, we look at our neighborhood, we look at our neighbors, we look at lost people around us, and we say, I can't, I can't, I can't. Listen, that's not an excuse. That is, in fact, your qualification to be used by God when you feel that you can't. Your neediness is a qualification for His activity in your life. God calls people all the time to do things in Scripture that are absolutely beyond their abilities, beyond their resources, beyond their strength. Why? Because when then things happen, He receives the glory. He receives the praise. He receives the honor. What matters is what God is telling you to do. Not what you're able to do, not what you have or don't have, but what is God telling you to do? He says, the Lord may be with me. Give me this mountain. What is your vision for the remainder of your life? What is your mission? God has something for you. I'll tell you what, while you're waiting, come see some of our staff. We'll find something for you to do. We have all kinds of needs here and that take time. And if we're going to do the kind of ministry that I believe he wants us to as the body of Christ, not as a nonprofit organization with just employees we hire to do everything. But if we're going to be the church, then we're going to all come together and employ the gifts and talents and resources we do have and surrender them for his use. But whatever you lack, 
whatever you think disqualifies you, whatever you, you think you must have in order to do something, can I just tell you that God provides you with everything you need? Maybe you don't need the strength of a 40-year-old man to fight a war, but if you did, God would give it to you. Maybe you are at a place in your life where you can hardly lift your Bible above your lap. And we've got dear ones who are in that place, in that position physically. They just can't do a lot physically. Can I tell you what they can do? They can pray till the paint peels off the walls. And we need people to pray. They can intercede for people who are hurting. They can call the church office and say, who do I need to be praying for? Who do I need to lift up today? They can send text messages to staff, to Sunday school teachers, to deacons. How can I pray for you today? They could be a, a whole army of prayer warriors. If they can write, they can send notes of encouragement. I was thinking about you today. I was praying for you, and God brought this scripture to mind. And I just wanted to share that with you today. You put it in the mail. I don't care what you have or what you think you don't have. I know that God will provide everything you need to do everything he has called you to do. Third thing. The Lord acts when you trust him. The Lord acts when you trust him. Verse 12. Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke. In that day, for you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. And, and Joshua did it. He gave him the land. And he went and took it. There were two main battles. You can read about it in chapter 15 of Joshua. There were two main battles. He went and took the first one by himself. 85 years old, he went and fought the war. He, he whooped up on at least three giants that are recorded in the text. They're named. 85 years old, took down their that city, took down those three giants. And then the second city, this is a, another wonderful story, but it shows how he encourages and influences others. He turns to the men that are with him. He says, the one that takes this city, I'll give them my daughter in marriage. Now, who wouldn't want their daughter to marry the strongest guy in the pack? And it turned out to be a man named Othniel. Othniel was one of the very first judges in the book of Judges. And when the world was falling apart and when the people of God were being unfaithful to God and when everything was going wrong in the promised land, Othniel, influenced by Caleb, stood for God and trusted God. And Othniel was part of his legacy, Caleb's legacy of influence and encouragement of the generations around him. Oldest man in Israel. Oldest man with Joshua in Israel. So God had made him a promise 45 years ago. He said, now it's time, Lord. And the moment he set his foot in the direction of the mountain, God began to work. And he empowered, protected, and used Caleb to finish everything God said he would finish. And Caleb finished well. The bottom line this morning is this. You cannot finish well without forward movement. That makes sense, doesn't it? You cannot finish well without forward movement. As you respond today, as we pray and as we sing, 
What is the next step? Are you moving forward towards finishing well? And what is that next step for you? Maybe as you look at your life and you may conclude, I'm not an encourager of others. I don't invest myself in others. I, I don't seek to influence others. And, and maybe that's your first step. Maybe you need to look at your life and you're, you're, you're looking at it and saying, am I wholly following the Lord? Or are there parts of my life that I'm keeping out of this Christian thing? And I follow the Lord when I need Him and I follow the Lord on Sundays. But I need to bring all of my life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And maybe that's your next step. Just that, that step, that commitment, that desire. God, I want to bring all of my life under your rule. And maybe it's just to discover your mission. Whatever age you are, God has a purpose for you. There are enough people in this room to rock this world. There are enough people in this room to touch the 6,000 people in Wynn, Arkansas who are not in church this morning anywhere. There's enough people in this room to do that. If we had half this number, there'd be enough. If there were just six of us, there'd be enough. You say, how can you say that, Pastor? Because God is sufficient. And everything he calls you and me to do, he'll provide what we need. What's your mission? Would you make that a matter of prayer? Pray with me. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us through your spirit. I pray for the dear ones that are sorting out in their mind what they've just heard. And I pray that your voice, your encouragement, your Holy Spirit, the power and sweetness of his voice would settle deeply into their mind, into their heart. Fathers, we respond to you now. We pray for that person or persons that has never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we pray because of what they have witnessed in the power that's displayed in Caleb's life, what you can do with a human life, how you can change a human heart would encourage them. And so for that person that needs to come and trust you, we pray that you would draw them to yourself today and that this might be the day of their salvation. Fathers, we respond to you. Lead us. Be our guide. Be the only one that we look to for purpose and for meaning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.